Oh, praise God. I know we've prayed, but I'm going to ask you to pray one more thing before we launch. Um, as PJ said, I, this has been tough going. I've had three versions of this message. <laughs> this is take three, but I trust it's the one the Lord's wanting for this morning. And um, he told me on, I think it was Thursday, uh, I think I was only on message two on Thursday, but he told me on Thursday that helped me so much, he said, go for hearts. Huh. And it kind of moved me to tears at the time. But I'm just going to ask you to pray and just say, Lord, I put my heart in your hands. Jesus, I do the same. I put my heart in your hands this morning. I thank you, Lord, there's no better hands. I thank you, Lord, there's no wiser hands, no hands that are more loving, more gracious, more merciful. And Father, you have the safest hands. Your hands are the safest of all. So when our heart is in your hands, we're in the safest, best place that we could ever find in this life. Do what you want, Lord, I pray. Have your way. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, if we could have our slide up, the, the word he's given us for this year, kind of an overarching word, if you like, for 2024, it's a year of kingdom increase and fruitfulness. And for kingdom increase and fruitfulness to happen in our lives, we need an increase of kingdom thoughts and kingdom ways. Now, we were singing, I can't remember which song, but one of the songs, your thoughts are higher, your thoughts are greater. And it's from Isaiah 55. Many of you will know it. The Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. But you know what? He doesn't want it to stay like that. He very much wants his thoughts and his ways to become our thoughts and our ways. Because when that happens, oh my goodness, it is such a blessing to us personally. It's a rescue, let me tell you. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there's great reward. And there's fruit then for his kingdom. You know, we become so usable in a wonderful way, and he always treats his servants so well. Um, it's really a win-win, that, for your life and my life. And um, I, on my kitchen table this week, there was a bit of mail. I don't even know what it, I think it was an electric bill could have been. But at the bottom of it, there was an advert for an organization or a business called Investors in People. Some of you may have heard of it. I don't, I don't even know what it is. But I just saw that there, and I, it just occurred to me, it, our Jesus, the, the, the Lord we serve, he is the ultimate investor. Yes. He's made the highest, most costly investment that there ever could be. Because he's invested something so much more precious and valuable than his time or his money and resources. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he's invested his very self. And, um, and I, that just kind of got me thinking about investment, you know, his investment in us. And I was, I don't know if you've ever been um, blessed or, you know, privileged enough to receive a significant loan. But when I was moving house, I'd found a house I wanted to buy, but the house I was living in hadn't sold. And um, somebody, she's here actually, lent me a significant amount of money, which I was able to pay back once the house sold. Um, 
But it wasn't there in my bank account. And then within a moment, boom, something appears with a lot of zeros. And I was like, wow, isn't that wow? I mean, it's a kind of poor example, but what I'm wanting to show you is he wasn't there. Ephesians says, when we were without Jesus, we were without hope, actually, and without God in the world. But then in a moment in time, for some of you, it was many, many years ago. For others, it was more recent. But in a moment in time, when you received Jesus, there was a transfer from heaven to earth, his Holy Spirit into your human spirit. We're going to look at Ephesians 1. Verse 13 says this, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. A deposit. God has invested himself in us. But if I can just get you thinking along these lines this morning, he's keeping an eye on his investment. He's actually looking for a return. He doesn't just put it in there and hide it away. He's looking for, you know, if you're wise, you're looking for something back on an investment. And actually, he expects his investment to bring significant change in our lives. Not just a little tidy up around the edges, you know, tag Jesus on, expect him to fix all our problems, answer all our prayers, and stay pretty much the same. That's not the plan. And we've got a slide. I just want to put it to you like this. God's plan for his investment is to make us like Jesus, both in our character and our ways, in how we are and and what we do. And actually, Romans 8, verse 29, speaks about us being predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Just chew on that a minute while I have a drink. (laughs) So if you think about this, we have an investment of the Holy Spirit on the inside, and so have millions of others. I love to think of this. Around the world, there are millions, many millions of real believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who have this same deposit because God's plan is that millions of us are walking around in contact with the Holy Spirit here in him, and then like, right, Lord, okay, I'll do it like that then. You know, it's the devil's nightmare. That's why he's hell-bent to stop us from, from living, really, for him. And um, there's actually a scripture in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8, that says, Had the devil known the plan, he never would have crucified the Lord of glory. He's mad. And when we live for him, it makes him madder. But there's a shield around God's people. Come on. You know, don't be afraid. Jesus said, didn't he? And Luke, you know, when you, when you resist the enemy, don't be afraid of some sort of comeback. No. I give you authority over the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means harm you. Okay? But um, this inheritance is in us. So the investment is already there. Um, 
he's given us our inheritance, but I was looking at the prodigal son this week, and um, so many Christians actually can just waste it on themselves, really, like the prodigal, prodigal living, just living for self, I'll take all the benefits and still do it my way. But the Lord's saying, I want you to use it for me, my purpose, my plan. Natural human reasoning says, if you get all your needs and wants met, you'll be happy. You know, we've all kind of, if, if you live in the world, we all live in the world. That's the kind of worldly way of thinking. Get all your needs and all your wants met and you'll be happy. But it is, of course, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It never happens because it's not long after getting something that you want. It's all happened. It's happened for all of us. You develop this itch for something else. You know, flesh is never satisfied. It always wants more. And actually, there was a man called John D. Rockefeller. He's one of the richest men that ever lived. He had more money than he could ever spend in his lifetime. Uh, and a reporter actually said to him, how much money is enough, John? And his answer was, just a little bit more. It's always just a little bit more. And I thought, it's like a jockey on a horse. You know, it hits the back of it just to keep that horse going. And the thing is, with money, or mammon, as Jesus called it, you never get to the end of that race. You never cross that finish line. And actually, Jesus warned us about it in Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one. I mean, these, that's an extreme word. Hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And it goes on. I'm going to read quite a few verses. Try and stick with it, because I know your mind can wander. Stay with it. Therefore, I will tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, about your body, what you wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? You're more valuable than a bird. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father, clock that verse, knows you need them. It's not that we don't need. We all have needs that need meeting. He is well able to meet them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you or given to you as well. In short, don't go after the things Go after him and the things will be added. But you know, it's a heart issue because we all love things and it's something we need to keep a check on. I do it. I have to keep a check on myself, you know, because we love what money can buy, but it can become a bit too important at times. Um, and it's a heart issue. Matthew 6 verse 19 says this, 
Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin can destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I just want to ask you, what are you treasuring this morning? I had this thought, if we could have a spiritual kind of scanner and your heart could be scanned, what would we see in there? You know, what is taking up most of the room, let's say? Because we'd all have a lot of things in there, and that's okay, you know, but what takes up most of the room and what's kind of at the top of it, the number one position? Um, Prayer lives reveal us. I don't know if you've ever thought of that, what you pray about most. That tends to be what matters most to you. What we talk about reveals us. Proverbs 4, verse 23, you know this one well. Above all else, he says, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. We think it's kind of just this ping, it's from our heads. But actually, it starts first in the heart. Heart's like the engine room. Our attitudes and choices flow from it. Your heart will determine where you end up. That's just how it is. I've got another belt of scripture here for you. Proverbs 27, verse 19. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Wow. You know, if you really want to know what's going on, look at your own life. I don't want this, I can almost feel the pinch of this morning. It's for all of us, you know, what we do, how we do it, what we say, how we say it. Um, And we only have one life. Let's face it, we only get one shot at this. We will, Romans 14, 12 tells us, we will stand before God and give account for it. And I think... Possibly, I don't know how he's going to word it, but I think it's going to be a bit like Matthew 25 with the parable of the talents. What did you do with what I gave you then? How did my investment work out in your life? Success from heaven's perspective is so different to success from earth's perspective, isn't it? Earth says... You know, if you're comfortable, you've got no money worries and you're a nice home, nice car, able to have nice holidays. Well, that's, you know, well done you. Round of applause. And, you know, the Lord's got no problem with that. He does actually want his people blessed. As long as we still have a pursuit for the king and the kingdom running on the inside, you know, And we can get things the wrong way around. We can go after the blessing and the benefits. And actually, we we end up miserable. um, I've joined a gym. It's part of God's plan for me to build a bit of strength. And I went there on Friday afternoon. And I overheard these two girls chatting. And uh, I couldn't help it. They were kind of standing right next to me, these two kind of tattooed, tanned, attractive girls. And one said to the other... On paper, I've got it all. Me and my partner, you know, got decent jobs, drive decent cars, live in a nice house. But she said, we're just not happy. And we're thinking of emigrating to Barcelona. And I'm like, aye, aye. (laughs) 
because I've been in this all week. And I thought, do you know what? Like everything in me wanted to shout, don't do it. You're taking the problem with you. This is an internal job, not an external. You might get nicer weather, but you're going to have the same issues when you get there. And because um, life doesn't consist of things. It's not the external. Jesus said it actually to the rich fool. Interesting, that title, isn't it? The rich fool. Um, your life doesn't consist in the abundance of things. Actually, Colossians 3, 4 says, he is your life. He is the source of everything good. And when he is your life, you don't just have it all going on on the inside. You get to have it on the outside as well. You know, we get to enjoy some of the things in this world, but they don't become the focus. And they don't become the purpose, what we're living for. They're just added as we go, seeking him first. And, um, you know, if we live for him, the benefits follow. They come upon us. They overtake us. It's like, well, I'm just keep getting blessed. I watch, I put it on a series link, um, this program called World's Busiest Cities. I don't know if anybody's watched it. Um, I don't watch it for relaxation purposes. In honesty, you know how you have a list of things you can watch? I often don't want to watch it because I know it's like, oh, quite hard hitting. Um, but it's really interesting and it's very informative. And I watched one last night. It was in Delhi, in India. And um, some of you are nodding, you've seen it. And um, I, I just found it fascinating, this market. Apparently, it's the size of 84 football stadiums. That billions of pounds turned over. And the thing that's kind of top of the list of what most of the people there want is mangoes, right? And there was this whole thing on mangoes. Mangoes are sold four times. The same mango gets to be sold four times. Somebody drives a truck of them in and sells it to a person who buys them in the kilo, right? And the person who buys them in kilos then sells them to another person who buys bag loads. And then the poor customer at the bottom buys quite expensive mangoes compared to the man at the top, right? And I was watching this thinking, looking at this nice Indian man, I get saved, just get saved, love Jesus, put him first, and everybody's going to want to buy your mangoes. You won't be able to explain why, even if your mangoes look a bit ropey, they're going to come to your shop. Because, do you know what I mean? It's just like that. And it also reminded me of a story um, years ago I watched on a, a video. I don't know if you remember videotapes. A videotapes, it was called Transformations, but there was this place in, uh, I think it was Mexico, called Almalonga, and they had a move of God. It was absolutely remarkable. And what happened there was they actually got, I think, at least two harvests in a year. It reminded me of that Amos scripture, the, the reaper will overtake the plowman. And um, they got two, at least two harvests in a year, and they came out with carrots the size of my forearm. Do you know what I mean? It was like, wow, how did that happen? They were able to buy new trucks. They were able to move house into better housing, get their kids. It's a demonstration of the kingdom. And I just thought, there you go. Jesus first, everything added. I'm not saying, of course, you put Jesus first, you're going to be really, really wealthy. If he can trust you with riches, then why not? And that's the issue, isn't it? But you might be sitting there thinking, well, how can I seek first the kingdom of God when I've got to do all this other stuff? 
And what I want to say to you this morning is, it's a heart thing. If your heart is willing, he'll show you how. The light will go on. And there's always grace for what he initiates. He says, my commands aren't burdensome. Now, the scripture says his yoke's easy. It fits you well. And it's light. You know, the burdens come with the extra stuff that we initiate. Bible calls them works of the flesh. And actually, works of the flesh, they just frustrate us and they tire us out. And we get stressed on the inside. We end up with strife in relationships on the outside. And we really need, if you haven't prayed this or don't pray it regularly, I pray it fairly regularly. Lord, help me identify the works of the flesh. Because that needs snip, 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 pruning. Prune it out. Prune it off. Because <laughs> it's just detrimental, actually. And I, I ask myself um, these two questions when I'm considering things that I do. And I, I just ask myself, is God in it and is God on it? Can I identify the grace on that? Or is it just absolutely all uphill and has been for a long time? That's a sign there's no grace of God on something. Now, I know there's opposition. There is. We have an enemy who's a thief, and he's very deceptive, um, and he wants to resist primarily us living for God, but he also wants to stop his blessing in our lives. But it, we need to identify, is it A, opposition, or is it B, there's just no grace on this? And I've got... Two questions that are a helpful way of figuring that out. Firstly, can I seek God's kingdom and do it? Can I seek first God's kingdom and do it? Seek first, that one should have said. Can I seek first God's kingdom and do that? Or is it going to be a hindrance? Secondly, and this is a really good one, am I open to hearing him about that? Because it's interesting how, like deep down, I think we know and when things aren't right. And yet we pretty, we're like children, put our fingers in our ears. No, no, not listening, not listening, not asking, not listening, don't want to know, just want to do it. And um, there's grace to the humble. There's no grace to those who aren't humble. You've got to be pliable and malleable. And I don't want to look at anybody when I ask this question. But how difficult is it for God to change your mind? <laughs> On anything? Yeah. Yeah. Or are you a bit stubborn? Because that's dangerous. There's a whole, so many dangerous qualities or characteristics we can have, characteristics of the flesh. Stubbornness is one of them. Actually, Proverbs said, those who harden their heart fall into calamity. Or you harden your heart, you fall into trouble. Come on, you quick, suddenly. The Lord is not a killjoy. And I really, you know, he's, out, he's not out to spoil our fun. It's like the opposite. Fun starts, really. You find out what fun really is when you get, when you let him lead. He's made you. He knows how you tick. He knows, he knows what abilities and talents he's put on the inside of you. And they all work best. You are going to be the happiest and most fruitful for his kingdom in his plan. 
And one of the pictures I had this week, as I was waiting for my kettle to boil, and on, I think it was just the first message, um, <laughs> was of a jigsaw puzzle. And you know how it is, you've got the box, you've got the picture on the top of the box and all the pieces inside. And so often what we do is we take the pieces, the things that we've been given, and we try and put our own picture together. And we try and push the pieces into place. Of course, if you're not, put, if you're not making the picture that's on the box, the pieces are never really going to fit. You can push as hard as you like. And the harder you push, actually, not only will they not fit together properly, you can break it. You can actually break it. And um, the Lord is saying, in returning and rest, you'll be saved. Look at my plan. Look at my design. Don't be that flagpole on top of a hill, like Wellington Monument, exposed and alone. In returning and rest, you'll be saved. This is the way. Walk in it. Look at the picture. Neither is he a harsh taskmaster, right? Rest is in the plan. Praise God. Fun is in the plan. Holidays are in the plan. PJ's just booked a holiday to Croatia. I, I'm just entertained by this one. She's going to Croatia and she didn't find out till after she booked there's a boat ride of two hours to get to this particular island that they've booked. And I just find that because I find it entertaining. I probably, I'm rejoicing in the wrong here, but she's... <laughs> She, she's like, uh, she wants to drive in six gear all the time. She wants to, if I'm getting there, I want to get there quick. And I suspect this is going to be quite a slow two-hour journey. And I just have this vision of her diving over the side, saying, I'll swim there quicker. Anyway, <laughs> he wants you to rest. Turn the engine off, the inner engine, and rest. Anyway, but the problem is with the flesh, you see, and we're all the same. We get things out of balance. We're either all work or all rest. We either spend far too much or we don't spend enough. Mostly, most people's flesh, if I'm honest, tends to be the overdoing side of things, the excess. Um, you know, work too much, spend too much, eat too much, exercise too much. It can go into any area of life. The temptation of flesh is to overdo it. Because flesh is habit forming, you see. Um, it only craves what you give it. The more you give it, the more it wants. In anything, literally anything, um, the more you give it, the more it grows. And the very best thing to do, of course, is to stop feeding it. If you want to reduce anything in your life, stop feeding it. It's hard at the beginning, isn't it? We've all done a bit of fasting at the start of the year. It's hard, and your flesh complains but you know the benefits come down the line from that you get the benefits later on and Hebrews 12 11 says this no discipline seems pleasant at the time you try and run away from it but painful later on however it produces a harvest of what we really want righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it and I think it's really good to recognize Discipline and cutting stuff out and pruning th things off, it's hard at the beginning. Your flesh will whine and complain. Also, it's good to recognize we have an enemy who's dead set against it, 
and will do everything he can to stop that happening. But if we will receive it, listen to instruction, Proverbs. I just read Proverbs through January. Oh, my goodness. Time and time and time again, the wise will listen to instruction. The fools ignore it. But if we will listen, take it on, harvest. A harvest of righteousness and a harvest of peace and a harvest of every good thing. And they're not all just internal, some externals as well. One of the fruit of the spirit of self-control, and I believe, we believe, of course, part of the fruit, kingdom fruit, that Lord's wanting to increase in all our lives this year is the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Interesting, isn't it? It starts with love, the love of God. But actually, it's like a bookend. It finishes with self-control. Self-control enables them all. You can't be kind without self-control. You certainly can't be patient without self-control. Now, we have it because we have him. But at times, my gosh, you'd be tested on every single one of those, aren't we? Just this week, I said to my dog, Frankie, I, I don't even know what he was doing, but I said out loud, Frank, I do not have the patience for this. <laughs> Just general fun in his head, which normally equals naughtiness in mine. I just do not have... But straight away, immediately, I was convicted and I heard the Lord say, yes, you do. Oh, okay then. I, I did. I corrected myself out loud. I said, sorry, Frank. Yes, I do. However, I am not saying, I'm not saying that we have to tolerate everything. No is a very good word at times. But I am saying we should never lose our patience. It's almost like we just need to plug into the mains and have this endless supply of those because we do. But you might say to me, yeah, but I just don't have patience for that. Or I just don't have self-control in that area. You know, if I eat one, I've got to eat the packet. <laughs> and I was remembering there was an advert years ago um, from a crisp manufacturer. You'll know it, I think, most of you. Once you pop, you just can't stop. Remember that one? Yeah. Wouldn't they love us to start thinking and speaking that? Because that's how things start to grow in your life. You, you start to think it, you start to speak it, you start to do it. And we need to do it with the word of God. Start confessing. If we could have that back, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. I, I, I have been taking this and praying, thank you, Lord, you're in me. And the fruit of your Spirit in me is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. My interpretation of that is there's no restriction. You do it as often as you want, as much as you want, the more the better. In every situation, with everyone you meet. No law against it. And the more you meditate on it, it helps renew your mind. And before long, you start to believe it. And when you start to believe it, actually, you start producing it. 
Come on. Back to God's plan. To God's plan for you and me this year and for the rest of our lives is to make us like Jesus in both our character and our ways. It won't happen without exposure to the truth. Opening this midweek regularly. Neither will it happen without dependence on the Holy Spirit. Without the word, let me put it to you like this. Without the word, we don't change. But without the Holy Spirit, we can't change. Hmm. You might know what to do, but you can't do it. It's just frustrating. That's what happened to the Pharisees and every religious person. They know what to do, but they simply keep tripping up on it. Praise God for our good friend, the Holy Spirit. He's the enabler. He works the will to in us. You don't even want to do the will of God without him. You fight it. He puts the want to in. And actually, it's his life in us that produces the fruit. John 15. Not much longer, but I just want to look at this. John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, Jesus said. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, if hmm, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Just imagine for a minute you're a branch in the vine. Does that branch have to struggle and strain and clench its teeth to pop a grape or a bunch of grapes? No, it just stays attached to the vine. The sap flows, the life flows, the grapes come on the, vi- on the branch. We don't have to try to be good. Thank God. We don't have to try to change. Thank God. Honestly, if the Christian life was a self-improvement program, I would have quit a long time ago. I'm sure you would have too. There is no hope in that. I have proved it to myself, and I know you have. Because that's just, we can't do it on our own. Simply by letting him live, the fruit comes. The character of Jesus starts to develop. I'm not saying it's instant, but it happens over time. He's not looking for sudden change immediately, although that would be good. As long as you're in the process, though. As long as he can see growth and development. Oh, there's some blossom there this week in that area. You know, the fruit will be coming. But before the life, there's got to be a death, if I can put it like that. That's, that's also just how it is. There's a cross before resurrection. And if we trust him enough to basically die to what we want, trying to manage everything, control everything and let him live, and let him lead, and let him make the choices, oh my goodness, we'd have so much more peace. We'd have so much less stress. We'd have so much more joy, and there would be so much more fruit for the kingdom. You would look more like Jesus. You would sound more like Jesus. You would do more like Jesus, because the life's getting through. And you'd be able to put your pillow, put your pillow, Put your pillow on your head, put your head on the pillow, whichever way you like it, at night, and just have that knowing I've pleased him today. I've done his will today. He's wanting to use us to expand his kingdom. Not because we should, 
but because we want to, right? That's the win from his perspective. They just really want to do my will. I'm blessing that. And it's not through gathering knowledge, and it's not through more to do on your to-do list. It starts in the heart. If the heart's willing, the light's turned on. You get to understand how to do it. And so often it's part of just the rest of life, like Jesus, as he was walking to the temple, saw the lame man. You know, whatever your name is, as he was walking to the bus stop, he just, this, had an opportunity for something, you know, anything, something of Jesus. We have one life made up of lots of days. Who knows how many? But he needs our yes. You know, I want to get to the end of it. And like Paul say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Not perfectly, but I gave you my yes and I, I depended on you to do it. And, it, you know, get and stand before him and say, okay, imperfectly, but I did live for you. Yes. That's what I want. And I know that's what many of you here want. But it's got to work out in the day to day. You know, really. And there's a cost to the flesh. You know, it will hurt sometimes. We're going to have to say no to some things we like to do. And yes, to say to some things we prefer not to do. But um, I was reading John. I just share this quickly. I was reading John and um, chapter 19 is about the crucifixion of Jesus. And it, it choked me, actually. And what got me this time was that he carried his own cross. <laughs> he didn't just die on it. He carried it. And I started to imagine what that would have looked like and felt like. Wood's heavy. We don't know how long the walk was to Golgotha, the place of the skull where he was finally crucified. But the fact that he carried it, like, okay, I'll die on it, but somebody else carry it at least. He carried it. Oh, gosh. And I think we can get so focused on the crosses. It's embarrassing, really. You know, on a wet night, on a Wednesday, when I know it's the prayer meeting, I could, I'll be honest, I can be like, oh, wish it was another night. You know, I want to pray, but I just wish it wasn't tonight. It's embarrassing, you know. But when we get so focused on the cross and the cost, we never actually go through with it. And I just encourage you, that, like Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he looked beyond it. And, you know, to trust him with our lives, to trust, you know, you can trust him with your yes, to finish where I started, really. If you put your hands, your heart in his hands, there are no safer hands. You can trust him with your yes, even before you've heard the question. That's the place he wants us to get to. You just got a blanket, yes, Jesus. If you're asking, I'm doing it. That's it. He will never give you more to do than you can do. And if I can put it like this, actually, he'll never give you more to do than you've got peace with. But we do need to recognize the difference between the peace of the flesh and the peace of the spirit. Because when you say yes to your flesh, it does settle down for five minutes. 
There's a kind of so-called superficial surface piece. But the, but the, the piece of the spirit is, is deeper. You know, it's, it's, um, it's such a sense of well-being. And your circumstances might not be perfect on the outside, but it's like it's well with my soul. He'll sort that. You've got my yes. And I've written down here, and I just wanted to say it to you. I encourage you to practice it in the little things. Because if you practice this in the little things, you'll be ready when the big things come along. We're going to pray in a minute, but I've actually got some homework (laughs) for you this morning. And um, if we could have that final slide. I want you to go home. I encourage you to do it today. If you don't do it today, you'll probably forget. Some point before your head goes on that pillow tonight. Make a list of the things you do in a week. Now, I'm not talking about I ate my breakfast, I brushed my teeth, you know. I'm talking about significant things, the things that take up more of your time and more of your heart space. Can I just say on that note, though, um, if if screen time is um, a regular thing in your life, it'd be interesting to clock how much of that time in your week it takes up. But um, make a list and then ask this question. Is it bearing good fruit? Just go through the list. Is it bearing good fruit? Now, we all have responsibilities. Many of you have children. So taking care of children, work, taking care of your home. We've all got one of them and all the stuff that that involves. But I'm more talking about the optional extras, hobbies, what you do for relaxation, social media, socializing in person, however it works out. You know, just go through that list and just ask yourself, is God in it? Is God on it? Is this helping me to become more like Jesus? Or if I'm honest, is it more of a hindrance? Is this the will of God for me or not? And then pray Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. That's a wonderful chapter. I started reading Colossians. Oh, what a book. Anyway... Colossians 9 to 10 essentially is saying that we will live a life worthy of him, please him. Like, Lord, is this, is this pleasing you or not? Or is it just pleasing me? And is it going to bear good fruit or not? And I, I want to encourage slash challenge you. If you come across stuff on that list and say, well, if I'm absolutely honest, this is a hindrance to me serving God. This is a hindrance to put in him first, and it's an ongoing hindrance, and actually it turns my heart cold rather than hot towards him, get your secretaires out and do some pruning. Be bold and do some pruning. Your flesh will resist it. Of course it will. In those situations, I just pray, Lord, help. I want to, but, but help me do this. And actually... Galatians 5, 16 says, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. In other words, if you do the right things, you won't want to do the wrong things. So actually, when you make that list, it would really be really good to look for within your week. Can I see any of God's priorities in that? Any? Or can I see a lot of God's priorities in that? Good question. Anyway, I'm kind of going to leave it there, but when I've been 
dog walking this week, a lot of people around my neighbourhood have rose bushes, and I've noticed a lot of them have been out with not pinking shears, secateurs, and they've been doing the pruning. And I noticed everywhere that one of these rose bushes has been pruned, the new life starting. You see the difference between the old and the new. It takes a bit of time, but if we're prepared to prune, actually in the spirit, it's far quicker than that. If we're prepared to prune, the life comes. The life comes. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and we are going to pray. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Kingdom Faith Southwest. For further information, log on to kingdomfaithsw.com.